I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as I go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. On today's episode, we hear from Ingredion CEO Jim Zally, who recounts his childhood experience working in his family's grocery store and how a library book inspired his successful career in food manufacturing. Jim shares the challenges and opportunities building a career in one company over the course of 27 years and what it means to embrace the highest leadership role. Hi, Jim. Thanks for being here today. Hi, Margaret. It's great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes. Thank you for your service on the Executives Club Board of Directors. Thank you for being such a strong leader in the region. We're really excited to have you on the podcast today. So tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, what your home life was like. Well, I, um, I grew up in a working class Albanian immigrant family in inner city Philadelphia. Um, my mom and dad ran together a small grocery store. They worked seven days a week. Um, I guess, you know, as a boy, my life revolved around working in the store with them. Uh, working during the summers and on weekends, um, doing things like stocking shelves, waiting on customers and, you know, running purchasing errands. I can remember with my dad to get provisions for the store. Um, I guess I would say I really learned the value of hard work and sacrifice to get ahead um, from both my parents, um, neither of whom, you know, had completed a high school education. So um, at the same time, when you're in that environment where you're, where you're dealing with the public, um, you learn to deal with all kinds of people. And, you know, I got a chance to see some hardships from, you know, customers, uh, families that live paycheck to paycheck and needed to buy on credit from us. So I think my early years um, growing up in that way, really, I think, you know, shaped, shaped a lot about who I am today. Yeah. And we're going to get into what an excellent communicator you are. And so interesting that you pointed it out even back then. Was there any encouragement to get into the family business? Um, my brother had that more so than I did because he's 10 years older and a day. And so he, um, he actually carried more of the load from a responsibility. So he also made sacrifices for me to advance my education, for example. So, but nonetheless, um, despite being younger, I, I also did my part and contributed. Yeah. Is it a coincidence that your parents ran a grocery store and you're in the ingredients and food business? Probably not, because <laughs> probably subconsciously there was always a love for um, the products that we uh, stocked and the and and the food that we sold. And I don't know, perhaps that gave me a uh, a real curiosity about about foods. Yeah. So um, someone told me that you read a book at the age of eighteen that really inspired you to go down the path that you did. Can you tell us about it? Who gave you this book? What happened? What was going on? Why did it speak to you? Well, you know, I, being the first in my family to go to college, um, I really didn't know what I wanted to study in university or uh, pursue as a career when I was in high school. And I really enjoyed science, math, chemistry. And I was also athletic. I was into sports and I was very interested in nutrition and primarily, it was about um, enabling me to compete in sports, you know. And in my junior year of high school, I remember um, I was fortunate to have a teacher 
who required us to write a paper on what would be our career choice at that point in time to get us to think. And I remember going up to him after class and, and asking him, you know, how do you go about doing this? I don't know what I want to do or be. And he looked at me um, very sternly and he just said, just go to the career section of the library and, and look. <laughs> and so um, sure enough, I did that on the way home. And um, and the, book's the book was actually entitled Your Career in Food Technology. And and it just stood out to me. And I took that book home because I never knew um, that such a curriculum or career path existed. And I ended up reading that book uh, throughout the evening and late into the night. And I guess, you know, since growing up in the grocery business, I liked and excelled in chemistry, et cetera. Um, this was the this was the, the book or the career for me. And in that book, it also actually guided me towards the university I'd ultimately go to because it listed at the back um, the approved food technology curriculum that you could apply to for a freshman scholarship. And that was, by the way, sponsored by the Institute of Food Technology, which happens to be headquartered here in Chicago. So I applied for a freshman scholarship to Penn State. I got accepted to the program, loved the program, loved the faculty, the university, and really never uh, considered any other career path. That's incredible. And just to think what would have happened if you didn't get that book. Yes. Was there any other career path that you had considered? Yes. Um, it was uh, petroleum and natural gas engineering, I remember. That was the other uh, career path. Yeah. Um, what sports did you play? Uh, I played basketball and I uh, also ran track and, and, uh, and high jumped as well. Oh, wow. High jump. The goal back then was if you could jump your height, that was, uh, that was, that was really good. So I never quite was able to do that, but. Yeah. I, there, there's no way. <laughs> I don't think I could jump <laughs> like 10% of my height. <laughs> um, so I'd love to talk about your career path a bit because you have been with your organization, well, iterations of your organization for 27 years, working in various positions, serving on various leadership teams, ultimately rising to the role of president and CEO. And we've talked to a number of CEOs who have taken that path. And I feel like that path has lost uh, interest for some of the newer generations. There's this sense that, well, if you need to advance, you need to hop around. That if you stay with one company more than five years, you know, you're kind of ancient and you need to move on. And there are benefits and opportunities in both of those paths. So I would love for you to share your specific path. I'm sure you had opportunities to leave what was your calculus and how that formed you as a leader of your organization? Yeah. I mean, as it relates to staying with one company, my entire career, I was really fortunate to have always been challenged and provided growth opportunities to learn and develop. Um, and I was always someone who wasn't shy and registered my career interests and where they lied. And, and most importantly, connected that to where I thought it could help the company and, um, you know, I, I think it's all about um, the company providing new opportunities and challenges, having mentors, people that, you know, take a shine to you and, and see the potential in you. And I was fortunate to have that mm -hmm. and always um, looking within as to where I saw my talents or interests um, relating to where the company strategy was and what the company was looking to achieve and registering that and communicating that. And, 
you know, I, I was fortunate to work for relatively large companies that were global in scope and that fascinated me. And so that opens up your world when you think globally to, to different opportunities. And so, um, that's a lot about what I think has kept me with the one company. We're now the combined company for my entire career. There's something that you said that I think is so important that you also raised your hand. And I think that that's so important to communicate to the early career folks, because I think sometimes they're waiting for the company to signal to them. And if they don't hear anything, they think, well, I need to move on. But it is two ways, right? Also raising your hand and saying yes to things and asking to take on more. Um, And it's such a shame when we do lose people because we just didn't know and wishing that they would have had the conversation earlier, right? Like just let us know that you were interested in more. Absolutely. And it, and, and it's not something that I think younger people today should um, be concerned about being perceived as being overly ambitious. To the contrary, I would say that it, it shows somebody who's keenly interested in taking on more responsibility and honestly, in positions of management and leadership, we're looking for people that want to take on more and shoulder more responsibility and grow. And so, um, but it's also in the how that you register Mm -hmm. it. I think that that's very important. Um, So again, for me, um, I was fortunate that um, I had uh, people that kind of met me halfway um, in a lot of the, in a lot of what I wanted to achieve from a career standpoint. Was there a pivotal opportunity that you said yes to that really altered the trajectory that you had within the company? Um, yes, I, I would say the um, there's a big professional decision that really catapulted my career and really it changed my life uh, forever, which was when I was asked to move to Asia as a business director based in Singapore. Um, I knew it was a great career opportunity. Um, it was not something that I could say yes to right away uh, or easily. Um, it was a very difficult decision and opportunity, which I declined three times. Um, oh, wow. And the circumstances were that my father had uh, passed away only six months prior to that opportunity presenting itself. And I didn't want to leave the U.S. at the time and my mom alone. Right. And I just was very fortunate because the head of HR for the company that I was with was patient with me. And I remember um, leaving in the morning from my mom's house to drive to work to turn down the job for what I thought was going to be the fourth and final time before heading into the office. And there was a um, there was a payphone back in those days in the lobby of the uh, the main office. And just as I was about to press the elevator to go to the executive suite um, to, to tell this head of HR, I decided, and I don't know why, I decided to call my mom. And you have to understand that I had just left the evening prior agreeing with my mom and my brother who did not want to see me leave because he was newly married and it would be again, um, you know, a a burden on him, right. To, to shoulder responsibilities here in the U S but I called my mom and it was just kind of to check on her, but also to tell her that I was going to be going upstairs to turn the job down again for the final time. And out of nowhere, she said, I want you to take the job. And I, I asked her, I said, are are you sure? Are you you're kidding? Are you sure? And she says, no, I know how much it means to you. And I want you to take the job. And I guess, you know, it's just the selflessness of a mother 
and something really that changed my professional and, and personal life. So um, I landed in Asia in the middle of the currency crisis of 1997. And I, I had a technical background, so they were putting me in a business role. And I remember the group vice president at the time saying that the failure risk to me was very high because he called it a three parameter move. One was it was going to be in a different geography. Um, the other, it was going to be um, in a different discipline. So going from technical to business. And it was um, in a different industry. So there was a food versus an industrial component. So it was a three parameter move. And I remember thinking about that carefully and wanting to prove everybody wrong. Right. But um, I couldn't have gotten a better education from a business perspective, dealing with the currency crisis and foreign exchange devaluations and the needs for pricing, et cetera. And my career really thrived in Asia. I had a great boss uh, with very high standards uh, who I'm still great friends with today. Um, I gained increasing responsibility every two years and ultimately uh, quickly became corporate vice president. Um, and then most importantly, I guess, also meeting my wife as well while living in Singapore. So changes both professionally and personally that I never could have imagined or foresaw, uh, but really emphasize the need to remain open to opportunities that are going to stretch you and to take you right. out of your comfort zone. Right. Well, and also what a gift a crisis can be, right? Because it gives you an opportunity to really lead. It's hard to shine as a leader when everything's fine and your job is to maintain the status quo. But when you are thrown into a situation like that, you have a chance to really show what you can do. Absolutely. It's hard when you're, when you're in it, right, to see Absolutely. it as, as a gift, but it is. So the company at the time was the National Starch Company. You were president and CEO of that organization. In 2010, merged with Ingredion. Your predecessor, Eileen Gordon, who also was a board director at the Executives Club of Chicago, talked about at the time that when a larger company merges with a small company, usually the smaller company takes the name, but Corn Products at the time wanted to build a new culture, new name chosen by the employees, really bringing these organizations together. Can you talk about how you approach that and some of the big lessons you learned from that merger? Yeah, I, I think in all of the acquisitions um, that I've been part of, and that was clearly the most transformational, um, what I've learned is the importance of treating people with respect um, and the importance of frequent, transparent communication. Um, you know, I learned the need for perceived fairness in the selection process for key roles. Um, I also learned the need for patience and the need for trust. Um, and that can be uncomfortable, to be quite frank, when two companies are coming together and there's different cultures at work, but you have no choice. So you have to trust. Um, and I learned the importance of uniting around a common strategy for the new company. And in our case, a new company name, Ingredion, that merged entities um, and that we could both be part and play an equal part in shaping its future. And I think Eileen did a great job of making sure that there was that equal playing field for both companies uh, to contribute to the future of Ingredion. Yeah. And you were the smaller company. And I was the smaller company. That's right. Yeah. And it sounds like they did a lot of things right to make you feel good about how this was happening. So then when did you become CEO of Ingredion? Uh, January 1st of 2018. 2018. So one of the things I also would 
really like to talk to you about is how you lead because I've heard from your team. I have seen you in action. You are an incredible leader. You don't sit above everyone. Your leadership style has been invoked on countless occasions to me personally by members of your executive team. You are greatly admired. And so one of the things I know you are keenly attuned to, and you already alluded to it, that it came from your childhood, that I think is probably one of your keys to success is how you are communicating. And I heard you say once to a group of young leaders for them to understand that they are always communicating every single thing they do. And you gave examples of by what meetings you accept, by what meetings you decline, by what you wear, by where you sit, and that you're very keenly aware of this. So can you share a bit more and maybe give an example of how you learned this was so important and when it really hit home for you? Yeah. Um, and you just cited exactly how I feel. Um, I learned that really in any position of leadership, um, not necessarily just the role of the CEO, but certainly everything is magnified in the role of the CEO that you are indeed always communicating. And it is exactly what you said. It, it's about what you wear. It's about what you say. It's about what you don't say. It's about what meetings you go to. It's by what meetings you don't go to. It's by your attitude and demeanor. Um, you know, whether you smile in the morning uh, <laughs> when you arrive uh, in the elevator. Um, you know, my CHRO has an expression which I love and I subscribe to, which is we create the weather for our people. And for me, one of the things I learned in the role of CEO is the importance um, and the need to be a public ambassador for the company. Um, and that may sound really obvious to people listening, but I'm not one drawn to be the public, you know, to be a public figure or the public figure aspect of the job. Um, and that said, what I've recognized if is if not me, then who? Right. can best tell the story for Ingredion and why I think we're a great company with many unique qualities and opportunities. And, you know, I always like asking new employees why they decided to join Ingredion. And I often find one of the attributes that's attracted them is our purpose and our values, which is really important for me to communicate. So um, the, the aspect of self-awareness, I think, when you're in this role and the impact that you can have um, and need to have is really, really important. Yeah. And I think this is fairly new. I know you've participated in the Edelman Trust Barometer. We've been talking about this for years, but this is fairly new how much CEOs are now expected to be speaking out and being the public face. That wasn't necessarily in the top three things of the job description, you know, maybe 10 years ago. And you've adapted tremendously these last 18 months you know, have been profound with the global pandemic, racial unrest, violence, heat of political environment, on and on and on. And again, your team really champions you as the prototype of it comes from the top, that you are frequently identified as someone who spends a lot of time checking in with your team and you leaders. And so how are you navigating this? Because you can't speak out about every single thing that happens in the news, right? Nor, nor should you. So I would love to hear your approach because, again, your team is so admiring of you. And I know that you were part of the Edelman Trust Barometer and selected as a CEO who is really good at this. So any insights to share? Well, you know, definitely the events of the last 18 months have been super challenging for all businesses. And, you know, businesses have a unique 
responsibility, I believe, to their employees to make the workplace a safe place and somewhere where they can um, uh, share their ideas, their thoughts and their feelings um, and do it in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that is supportive of the, um, the diversity that the company has. Um, look, I approach this through the lens really of the responsibility I have to lead and uh, the trust that's been given to me to be a good steward of the business, which impacts people's lives. And so as CEO, I saw the fear and the anxiety of the pandemic uh, and what that had put on our employees and the need to clarify our priorities. And at the time, the number one priority was putting our employees health and safety, number one. Mm -hmm. uh, followed by being a responsible corporate citizen in the communities, um, doing what we needed to do to protect the healthcare system. Um, and thirdly, really, it was about business continuity for our customers. And the lens that I looked at that through was really for our employees' economic well-being. Because obviously, people were concerned, rightfully, about their health. I was also concerned about the company's welfare to make sure that we were a viable, successful organization to keep paying employees health care benefits and salaries right. for economic well-being. And when the tragic events of George Floyd's murder unfolded, I think really that was simply about being in touch with humanity mm -hmm. and reaching out to listen and understand the pain that was being felt amongst our black and brown employees and creating a supportive environment that brought our employees closer. So, um, you know, I, I feel compelled to take a position or speak out on an issue, looking through the framework that's guided by our values. Uh, for example, we explicitly stood with our black employees during the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And I issued communication when the events of January 6th threatened our institution of government in the US and I issued a statement against a Asian hate, for example. Mm -hmm. Now that said, I don't feel compelled that it is my job to wade into politics and express political views. I prefer to leave that to, you know, to our elected officials. Yeah. Yep. Did you start doing anything differently during these last 18 months? Um, there's many things that we've done differently from a standpoint of how we operate. Um, I think uh, one of the first things we did is to set up a, an office uh, of the CEO for pandemic response. And that was uh, stood up with multifunctional representation. And that very quickly allowed for best practice sharing across the globe because the pandemic was evolving at different rates uh, across the globe. And the other thing was just to ramp up communication. So whereas I would do a quarterly webcast that was coincident with our quarterly results, mm -hmm. I now felt the need, and it was all based on just taking the temperature of what was happening in society at the time, as well as taking the temperature of our employees where we were doing pulse surveys, was just to um, communicate and heighten that level of communication with different themes and topics as it related to persevering through the pandemic or progressing through the pandemic. And each one had a theme, each one had a topic, but that was extremely important. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Sure Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. 
For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shure microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. You know, it was striking to me some of the initial guidance that was coming out, um, you know, in early March of April last year. And I was scratching my head a bit because it all just seemed like leadership 101, like communicate with your team frequently, be transparent. And I was wondering, why are we having to tell people this? And you've known this from the very beginning. You know, you already talked about those exact things and being respectful of people in the grocery store that your family owned. You talked about going through this significant merger and you use those words, you know, respect, frequent, transparent communications, patience, and trust. So you've had a lot of experiences along the way that you were made for this moment. I think yeah, it's not and surprising I think, that you handled it so well. <laughs> you didn't need Leadership 101 to tell you to be an open, transparent leader in the moment. Yeah. Well, thanks. It, it, uh, it, it's it's, it's um, been challenging, I think, for anyone in positions of leadership these last 18 months. And you just try to do the best you can at the time. Yeah. Any misses? You know, I thought about that and what, what I thought we could do better. And I, I would say that there's nothing that I will look back on right now with regret. Um, and that said that I'm, I'm sure there's something with all of the events of the last 18 months that, you know, I could have done better or we could have done better as a company, but no, nothing that, that, that stands out. I think yeah. um, what this has taught us is, and it's taught me is that you can continue to find another gear and you can continue to dig deeper within yourself to be a leader because the times call for it. And I guess when I look at myself, I would say that, you know, you just have to continue to dig deeper um, because it's, it's not easy uh, to navigate um, successfully through this, in, through this environment. Yeah, I can share. I know one of the misses that I had was we were a little late getting statements out because we were so concerned about getting it right. You know, we really wanted to pull in uh, people to be sure that we were not being tone deaf, that, you know, what we were saying was going to land intentionally in what we meant. And it just took us a few days, you know, and I I wish that we could have done it quicker. Yeah, I guess I was fortunate that when I became CEO, one of the things that we spent time on in the first six months, which was critical, that served us so well was we recast and contemporized our values and we launched a new purpose for the company. And those um, aspects really enabled us to lean on them during the pandemic. And so we, we had already developed muscles in relationship to some of those softer sides that that we had to, to develop. And we were able to lean on that. And that I think helped us from a responsiveness during the pandemic and during yeah. the, uh, the the social and racial unrest. Yes. I think that's been a big lesson for everyone. Uh, companies who leaned into their purpose, I think, thrived. Even restaurants, right? I was just talking to someone about this the other day. A restaurant's purpose is not to serve people food at a table in a building with four walls. A restaurant's purpose is to bring enjoyment and build community through food. And a lot of restaurants figured out creative ways to do that. And those that did thrived and those that relied on sitting at a table and having a server come to you. You you had to pivot. You had to pivot for sure and reinvent yourself in many ways. What was the most surprising thing you learned either about yourself or the world during the past 18 months? 
again, I would say just the, the, the need to be resilient, the need to be patient, the need to be empathetic and to listen and understand how an unprecedented event that no one has ever lived through uh, is impacting different constituents. And, and look, we're still living through that right now when, yeah. when you consider the return to office work that all companies are grappling with right now. It's a very complicated you know, challenge for each company to, to navigate for themselves because a company has to balance the need to preserve a culture and has to ensure that employees are engaged. You have a responsibility to employees to also make sure that they're learning and being developed. And at the same time, you do want to be progressive and you do want to give flexibility given you know how, how hectic and crazy life is. And on top of that, you have a, a health crisis that you're trying to navigate through. So I think being empathetic, listening, being patient, not being quick to judge or not being quick to decide and being iterative, I think, um, but at the same time throughout the whole time being communicative, because I right. think that that's extremely important. And I've, I've certainly learned that for sure. Yeah. So you shared that being the public face of the company was maybe not the part of the job that you were most excited about, but you've embraced because it is part of the job. What are the parts of the CEO role that you do love the most? Yeah. You know, I would say it's so simple. It's just the opportunity to positively impact people's lives because yeah. in that role, you do have that opportunity. Yep. Anything different in terms of being CEO of the somewhat smaller National Starch and now a significantly larger ingredient? Is the role different or is it just the same different different size company and other zeros? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I would say that the role is different. And, and it, it was one of the reasons why I decided to stay with the combined company, because I knew there was so much more to learn. But look, I, I knew coming into this role, being a CEO of a publicly traded company, that no matter how prepared I thought I was for the role, that the weight of the responsibility would be com a completely different experience. And it has been. Um, so I guess I wouldn't say I was surprised, but it was true when they say there's nothing that can quite prepare you for the totality of the responsibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, overnight, everyone is looking to you for your vision, your views, yeah. your opinions, your guidance. And you quickly realize that you need to balance the needs and requirements of multiple stakeholders, you know, your employees, your customers, your board, um, investors. And um, I guess what was different <laughs> for me was that I was I was hoping for a little bit of a honeymoon. And that didn't happen. And industry <laughs> fundamentals changed in the first 90 days of my tenure. And that really required some tough decisions to be made uh, on many levels to, to drive cost reduction. And at the same yeah. time, you know, working hard to embed a purpose driven uh, growth culture. So that was probably what was different. Uh, if I could have had the good fortune of, of having that be a little bit different. But um, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> So another thing that makes you unique and probably so strong in your position is that you really know your business inside and out, right? You know food technology. You could probably work and have worked in so many divisions at your organization. So everything from understanding the science to the history to the strategy, and you're able to, to do a lot of it. And so do you think that has anything to do with growing up in the company? 
And what are, yeah, what are some of the unique benefits of that particular path to CEO for you and how you lead? For sure. That is uh, something that I think any CEO in a similar situation needs to be um, self-aware and mindful. So I feel because I have grown up in the industry and I've been 38 years in the food ingredient space, a space that I love and a space that I knew that I wanted to go into from the beginning, you acquire a tremendous amount of knowledge. And our business is also a science-based business. So it's very intricate in, in relationship to how you create value. There's value created from the raw material. There's intellectual property. There's an innovation and science element. And there's obviously the go-to-market model and all of those elements that need to come together to create, to find value and create value and to sell value and to capture value. All of those elements are somewhat interdependent and intricate, and it comes with a, a great deal of knowledge. Now, all that being said, your job as CEO is not, not to be the ultimate problem solver, but to have the self-awareness that you need to know when to step in and when to elevate mm -hmm. um, and when to help out. And so, you know, I've got a very active engagement style, but that's really been born out of the belief that I have to be relatable as the CEO. And again, when you're with the company so long, so many people know you, right? So, um, but for me, I have a very strong and capable leadership team, and I'm fortunate that I don't have to go deep and be hands-on, but uh, we're an organization that's organized regionally with um, global functions and we're matrixed. So there are, there are times in my role where I consider my role chief clarity officer that requires me to bring clarity to mm -hmm. a strategic decision facing the company that can unleash a lot of energy in a positive, um, clear direction. Um, so my role is not to personally manage details, even though I know so much about the business that are, that are critical, but it's really um, to require my management team and my managers to manage those details. And it's my job to ask thoughtful questions that has them you know, looking ahead, anticipating the unexpected and challenging them to think bigger and bolder. That's how I view my job. Yeah. I could see it really benefiting you from a trust and credibility perspective with your entire team too. The fact that you do really understand their business. <laughs> you know, you're not just sitting on top and, you know, saying we need to go in this direction. It's because you you truly understand it inside and out. We part of the CEO role is also constantly looking out at the horizon, anticipating what's coming. Right. So not being in the weeds, but looking out and resisting complacency. And you told me that you have seen what happens firsthand when a business falls apart and when it needs to be rebuilt and how painful that can be and why you need to do everything you can to stave that off and not get into that situation. Can you share some more? Yeah, I, I've endured uh, the pain in my career to having watched a business you know, lose its way and losing its position in the market due to poor leadership or poor decision-making. And thus you can destroy a lot of value in a great business in 12 to 18 months. And the effort to rebuild that business can take five years or longer of backbreaking dedication. Mm -hmm. So in my role as CEO, I really don't like it when I see complacency, especially when a business is doing well. Um, 
the time I believe a CEO has to be their toughest um, is actually when a business is doing well uh, because people can take it. Um, you know, bonuses are good. Um, and the time that a CEO, I think, needs to be the most encouraging and supportive is when a business is not doing well. And when you're in a turnaround situation, since you need energy uh, for people to move mountains, really, to give the, the extra sustained effort to change the, the trajectory of a business. So if there's one thing that is a pet peeve, it's complacency when times are good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm sure... I mean, I see it in my own team too. I know some of them are listening and are probably laughing because they've even said, can we just be for a little bit? Like right when we get into a groove, you keep, you know, okay, let's start thinking about this because I, I know what you're saying. You start, it's, yes, it's nice to be in a groove and start to feel like, okay, it's smooth sailing, but you know that that can get dangerous. This has been so interesting. Something else that we love to do is some more get to know you questions. We call them our lightning round. Are you okay. open to doing that with us? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So I'll just rattle them off. Don't overthink it. We'll just go through them quick. What are you most proud of? Uh, I would say right now in my role as CEO, um, I'm most proud of navigating the company through some challenging industry fundamentals um, my first two years and this last 18 months navigating us through the pandemic where the business is now displaying growth momentum the last four quarters um, and we're strengthening our strategic pillars and we're advancing, advancing what we call our strategic uh, growth roadmap. Um, so for value creation. So I think I would say, you know, it's been, it's been a trying time, but I'm very proud of that. Yeah. You've done a great job. When you have to make a difficult decision, what do you do? Um, I seek input from as many relevant perspectives as possible. And I ask about the risks uh, and the opportunities associated with the decision. Um, I would say that's what I do. <laughs> what is the biggest thing you've learned about yourself these last 18 months? Yeah, it goes back to what I said earlier, that I could surprise myself to keep digging deeper to find the energy and the ability to lead through ambiguity. Um, you know, it, it was exhausting, but, you know, you just find when it's kind of a higher purpose, you, you find the energy um, to do that. And, and that's what I've learned about myself. First thing you do when you wake up in the morning. <laughs> I, um, I go to the refrigerator and I drink a half a glass of freshly squeezed orange juice and I put on CNBC and then I check my phone. What time do you get up? I get up about six, six in the morning. Okay. So not one of those 4.30 people. I do not understand the 4.30. I'm not a 4.30 person, but I don't need a lot of sleep. So I'm up late, but I get up at six. So I'm up yeah. after midnight typically too. What is something not everyone knows about you? Hmm. Um, I would say probably something recent. Um, I bought a drum set. And I have really? a secret passion to play the drums like Mick Fleetwood. Wow. So I, I just love watching Mick Fleetwood play the drums and how he gets immersed in it. And I would love to be able to do that, but I will never be able to do that like him. But I would love to, I, I, I am going to be tinkering around with that. <laughs> do you have 
a room in your house that is soundproofed enough that you can practice the drums. No, that's, that's <laughs> an issue. So it's 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 overlapping with my wife's sewing room, which becomes a which becomes a problem. <sighs> that's funny. What is your favorite snack? Oh gosh, uh, the, the the executive admins around here know that uh, it's dark chocolate. Oh yum, yeah. Favorite food seasoning. Oh, I would say wasabi because wow. um, I love Japanese food from the time from my time in in Asia. I just love Japanese culture and in Japan. I had real wasabi for the first time, and it is nothing like the powdered reconstitution green stuff I've eaten my entire life. Like it was, you know, shaved on shark skin, and I've only had it once. It was incredible. Yeah, not many places you can get if it. If you've had authentic Japanese food in Japan, you really. Um, struggle to, to find that elsewhere outside of Japan. Yeah, I'm sure. Dog person or cat person? Oh, I, I love dogs. And, um, and I just love the unconditional love that, uh, and the happiness that uh, dogs bring to both, uh, you know, children, people, families. So I'm a dog person for sure. Beach or mountains? Beach for sure. Um, we have a place in uh, Naples, Florida, and that's my sanctuary. That's my getaway. So Favorite season? Oh, uh, without a doubt, spring. Um, so much to look forward to and everything's coming to life. Yeah. I wish we had a longer spring in Chicago. I lived in the South for a while and they have a gorgeous long spring. Our spring is so short here. I don't mean to be sarcastic, Margaret. I don't think we have a spring in no. Chicago. It goes directly from winter to summer. I always say that. I know. I know. And I miss it. And when I lived in North Carolina, it was just gorgeous and like two months long and lovely and all the blossoms. And yeah, we get maybe a week. <laughs> it snows and then it's 70. Last show you binge watched and loved. You know, I don't have a lot of time to watch uh, TV, but um, the last one that I binge watched was, I guess, um, and it's getting old now, but uh, was Breaking Bad. I probably watched all I think it was six seasons in, in, in about a week. Um, oh, wow. and I did that over the Christmas holidays a couple of years ago. Um, so I love fast paced dramas and ironic, uh, kind of ironic, strange humor that's woven in. And that, that was just brilliantly written. And so, um, that was the last one. Yeah. Well, when you have more time, you'll have to watch better call Saul, which is like <laughs> a loose, uh, that's right. loose sequel. Yeah. Thank you, Jim, for spending the time with us. Thank you for being such a strong leader in the region, for being such an important civic leader for our community, and for taking the time to allow our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. This was really fun. Margaret, thanks so much for the opportunity. Um, really appreciate it. That's all for today's episode of the Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org.